Why don't you turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Book of Romans, chapter 1. Uh, just a reminder, I again, I'll be out of town. Um, I'll be leaving probably November the, let's see, I'll be preaching in, uh, for my friend Ronnie Pierce on Wednesday, November the 5th at his church. Um, that's a Wednesday. And then I'll be preaching my dad's church November the 7th, 8th, 8th and 9th at his um, annual grace conference. So as of right now, I'll be gone one Sunday. Orla will be ministering for us on that Sunday. Sorry, I have to miss it, brother. I'm sure it'll be good. But... All right. Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> aren't you thankful for the word? I said, aren't you thankful for the word? Amen. Okay, let's start here in verse 15. Probably going to uh, spend quite a bit of time in Romans today. May, may look around uh, at some other places as well, but we're going to spend uh, quite a bit of time for the book of Romans. Thank God for the book of Romans. I tell you, if there is one book, man, that I especially, I was going to say like maybe a new believer, but really every believer should become a student of the book of Romans. It, it is Paul's masterpiece on God's grace and on faith by righteousness and not by works. All right? So we're going to look, we're, we're going to look today. I'm, I, I, I'm calling this fully persuaded in the goodness of God. Fully persuaded in the goodness of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 15. Paul said this. He said, So as much as in me, as, it, as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel uh, to you who are at Rome. Verse 16, Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. All right? As it is written, The just or the righteous will live by faith. Now, that's in the King James Version. Let me read to you here uh, these same verses in the New Living Translation. Verse 15, Paul says, So I am eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. Verse 16, Paul says this. Now, you know this. The word gospel means good news. All right? Glad tidings, good news. All right? He says, I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is... The power of God at work. Now, see, the gospel is the power of God. All right? I heard T.L. Osborne say, T.L. Osborne, you know, passed away just, I don't know, a year or two or so ago. I can't remember exactly when. Uh, but T.L., uh, you know, is renowned for the healing and miracle crusades he had and all the salvations. I love what T.L. said because he spent a lot of time in, in uh, Hindu countries and Muslim countries. T.L. said, Whenever he went to other countries, he would never preach against their false gods. 
because there's no power in preaching against false gods. He said the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for humanity, the gospel is the power of God. So, and he said this, he said, I don't even pray the power down. He said the gospel is the power. If I just preach the gospel out, I'm preaching the power of God out. Amen? And I th it is just phenomenal to me that God has made this thing so simple. You know, I think about Mark chapter 5, the woman with the issue of blood. The first thing it says about her, it says, when she heard of Jesus. Now, see, when we hear of Jesus, the real Jesus, faith automatically springs up. And I would say this, faith is, is simply a result of hearing God's grace. If we hear, if, if we see if Jesus is, is presented to us accurately, you can't not have faith. Amen? So, you know, like Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And we may look at those verses here in a little bit. The very context there is the message of the gospel of peace, Paul called it. And see, the gospel of peace, that's the idea uh, that God is at peace with mankind. All right? I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but Romans chapter 5 says the same thing. It says that, now, now stick with me here. It says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to, you know, think about that. Romans chapter 5, you know, verse 1 and 2 there, Paul says, we have peace with God through your church attendance. No, through all of your good works. No, through what? Through Jesus now, this is so, you know, this is like so foreign. I, th there's not one moment of one day where God's not at peace with you. I mean, can you handle that? And I know for me, you know, I wasn't presented with that for a long time. And it took, it took God, you know, to open my eyes just to this revelation, this simple good news. You know, you read the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 6, it says, was it Stephen or Philip? I think it was Philip. Philip uh, the evangelist came down, and it says that he went to Samaria, and it says this. It says he preached Christ unto them. And it says when he preached Christ to them, demon-possessed people were set free, and healings and miracles broke out just by preaching Christ. And I know for me, in my experience, th th there's a lot more preaching of the Christian than there is preaching about Christ. You know what I mean? There's a lot more of what we need to do for Jesus instead of the correct message, which is what Jesus has done for us. Amen. You know, I think I, I, there's a certain pretty well-known minister uh, here in America, and I was, I was on his website one day, and I was looking through his list of sermons that, that he had, and probably like probably like three out of every five sermons had the name Jesus in it. And I'm looking at those, and I thought, my God, th this is so foreign. This is so rare because it's supposed to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's not the good news of Jesus. It's typically the bad news of how much you vacuum. It's the bad news of how messed up you are. It's the bad news of how you're not doing enough for God, never have done enough for God, and probably never will do enough for God. And since you don't, God's not going to do much of anything for you. And we've all, or probably most of us, have had this message shoved down our throat for forever and a day. All right? And, and, you know, I think about this. I was thinking, you know, it's really interesting to me. Every generation thinks that their generation is by far the most vile, foul, nasty, ungodly, wicked bunch that ever lived. That's what we, people ask, man, can you believe things are as bad as they are? Well, first of all, yes. 
I can because the Word of God said it was going to get bad, right? But then I think about, you know, I was thinking like, I was thinking this morning, you know, can you believe things are as bad as they are? I was thinking back to like, has anyone ever heard of the Roman Emperor Nero? Wicked man. And he used to do terrible stuff. Like they would, they would take Christians into the Colosseum and release them, and the lions would come out and kill them and eat them. And, I mean, sound like fun, right? You know, I'm thinking like that's not happening by and large today. It maybe happened somewhere, and you know, something to that effect. We know Muslims are, you know, killing people left, right, and center. But you know what I'm saying? Like that's not a commonplace thing for the church. You know, we can meet here today freely. And we don't have to worry about lions, you know, being sicked on us or anything like that. Nero, there, there's accounts where he went around and set places on fire. He did it himself or would send people to do it. And then he would blame it on the Christians and then kill them for, for setting buildings and homes and, and places of business on fire. When he was the one doing it. And, and we're not really, you know, having to deal with these. Are, am I making sense? You know, things aren't, I don't, I don't think things are as bad. And I think things are as bad for us as we choose to focus on them to be. You know, I love Hebrews chapter 12. The author of Hebrews said this. He said, looking unto Jesus, he's the author, he's the perfecter or the finisher of our faith. And see, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says that we're to behold the glory of the Lord. We're to behold Jesus. And then in chapter 4, the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians says that Satan has blinded the minds of people, of, of the glory of of Jesus. And I think a lot of this, I think, I think that really we, by and large, we can basically be as happy and optimistic, optimistic as we want to be. Amen? I shared this with you last week that probably the last two or three weeks or so, uh, I had been under an attack in my mind. And it's just nothing but a demonic attack. Uh, and it's probably the worst that I've encountered in probably uh, years. And like I said last week, again, I'm not one of these people who, you know, one of these charismatics that looks for a devil in everything. I just, I don't want to, he's not that important and he's not worth giving that much attention to. But you can tell whenever you're just normal, you know, tired or not getting enough sleep or fighting with your spouse or whatever, that type of thing, as opposed to when you have just an outright attack launched against your mind. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians he said, we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. That word devices there literally in the Greek means thoughts. So Satan uh, will try to interject his thought patterns into our minds. And I think once it gets, you know, bad enough or heavy enough or twisted enough or whatever, I think we can recognize, okay, this isn't just normal life. This is an attack against me. And that thing just had been on me so heavy in my mind, just that heaviness and just that cloud of, of uh, demonic thought system trying to impose itself upon me. And I did, after two or three weeks here, this past week, I finally, finally did what I know always works. But you know, when you're in the middle of something, you can't always see, you know what I mean? You can't really see, like you forget. You ever have something come against you and it's, you've been, you know, the devil's been kicking you around for four, four or five days and then finally you think, well, maybe I should like pray. <laughs> There's a starting place. <laughs> maybe I should take this to God. You know, like something. Maybe I should, you know, try something like that. I don't know. And then, but I started doing what I always do and what always works. I got back to the gospel. I started feeding on the word and, and I listened to some teachings. But I just got back to the simple gospel message. Now see, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, chapter 11, and he talked about it in chapter 12, that demon spirits will use false messengers of the gospel 
to try to remove people from the simplicity that is in Christ. You guys know this, 2 Corinthians chapter 10? He said that just like the devil uh, with subtlety came in and deceived Eve and took her off of the simple foundation, that messengers... We, we may, are you familiar with these scriptures? It sounds a little bizarre. We can turn there if we need to. But that Satan can raise up messengers to take people away from the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of the good news. And really, if you think about it, you know, Orla was talking how, how so many people have no idea this, this truth of God's love and God's grace and God's acceptance of humanity. You know, it's such a foreign concept. And it's most Christians, I think, fortunately, it's changing. We're in a good time in the church. But by and large, many Christians have yet to hear the gospel. I'm talking born-again people, spirit-filled people, by and large, have yet to hear the simple gospel, the simple message that God, 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 God is at peace with humanity. Amen. God is not mad at the world. God is not mad at His church. All right? Now, let's keep reading here. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 in the New Living. Paul says this, I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. The good news, the gospel, is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Gentile. Now look here at verse 17. Paul says this, this good news, the gospel, all right, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. Don't you love that? God is the one who's made us right in his sight, all right? Now, now let's, I'm trying to slow down a little bit here. Righteousness in the Greek, in the original Greek, literally means to be in a condition that is acceptable to God. To be in a condition that is acceptable to God. Or the secondary definition is to be as you ought to be. I mean, in all of us, probably, we have a personal ministry to ourselves of constantly kicking our own butt, telling us what we ought to be. Amen. You, we constantly feel, it seems, there's a barrage in our thinking of, that tells us why we're not good enough. That I should be farther along than this. I should know better than such and such. And it's this, it's this ministry of personal self-disqualification. You know? And, and I think often how that, you know, you can always, you can always think of some reason that you're disqualified or should be disqualified from the blessings of God. You know? Like you go to, if, let's say you, you've done your budget and you know everything that's going to happen this month and say you're going to be $200 short on your bills. And so what do you do? You know, you go talk to the Lord about it. And about the time you start praying, your mind will start reminding you of all the stuff you didn't do that was right that you were supposed to do. Now, three weeks ago, you were at that gas station and Rhonda was there and the Lord told you to pay for her gas and you didn't do it. And two days after that, you know, you uh, snapped at one of your coworkers. And then yesterday, you said a four-letter word ten times. You know, something, you know what I mean? It's like there's always some reason that we can think of. Our mind will conjure up stuff to let us know why we're not qualified for the blessings of God. And see right there, that's exactly, that, that's Satan's design 
to remove us from the simplicity of the gospel. All right? Now, this verse here, once again, what's he say the gospel does? What does the true gospel do? The gospel tells us that it's God who has made us right in his sight. Amen? Are, are, you, are you with me? The gospel tells us that it's God who makes us right in his sight. So somebody say, you need to get right with God. Well, if you're born again, you can't get right with God because you are right with God. That's the simple gospel. Now, 1 John chapter 4 says, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Amen. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that Jesus is the righteousness of the believer. Amen. So Jesus is my never-ending rightness, if you will, with God. Now think about that. Jesus is always my righteousness, all right? So it's never what Jesus did plus some level of what I do. Amen. Now think about this. When you get saved, when you initially get born again, what did you contribute to, you know, your salvation? Sin. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> you know, nothing. <laughs> you know, there, there's nothing that we can bring to the table and, and bargain or barter or, or trade with God. But the sad part is, is religion says, yes, that's true when you initially get saved. But see, then we leave the Word of God and start making up our own theologies and say, yeah, but after that, you have to do X through, you know, A through Z to somehow maintain right standing with God. And there's no such thing as that. There is Not in the Scriptures. There is no such thing as that. Now, you think about how foreign that message is. If this is the first time you've ever heard that, that might flip your wig. And, you know, I've been feeding on the grace of God in this true message, you know, for years now, and it still flips my wig. But what do you do? you got to go back to the Word. Now, see, let's say later today, you know, I do something stupid, and I feel like God's upset with me. What do I do? I go back to the Word, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It's always going to say the same thing. You have peace with God through Jesus. It's never going to say otherwise. Ephesians chapter 2. I may cuss out Rhonda, and I may go and cut or slice orless tires, and I may, you know, shoot Justin with a BB gun, and all this stuff. You know, I've, I've been doing terrible stuff, but I'm going to go back to Ephesians chapter 2, and it's going to say the same thing. For you are saved by grace through faith, not of works. It's always going to say that. It's never going to change to line up with my situation. It's never going to change to try to fit my theology. It's always going to say the same thing. Are you following me? All right. Now, Romans chapter 9, we may turn there, we may not, says that this simple message that you're righteous by faith and not by works is the stumbling stone to the religious person. All right, let's turn there. Let's, want you, let's just look at that, Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Again, now look, we're talking again about being fully persuaded in the goodness of God. Romans chapter 9, let's see here, start in verse 20. Da, 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 da. <clears throat> let's see here. 28. And I'm back in the King James Version here. It says, for he, Romans 9, 28, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. So Jesus is finishing for us, or really already has, of course, this is prophetic, this work of righteousness, all right? Because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. Now look at verse 29. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Seboeth have left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. All right, verse 30. 
What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, that's probably most of us, maybe all of us, the Gentiles who followed not after righteousness. All right? So we didn't follow the path to try to become right with God. All right? Now, Ephesians chapter 2 says that the Gentiles were so lost, says we were without hope, without hope and without God, and we didn't even know it. We were so lost, we didn't even know we were lost. All right? He said, the Gentiles who followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, the religious people, who followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. All right? Verse 30, uh, 32. Why? Because they did not seek righteousness by faith, but they sought it by the works of the law. And really, by and large, this is where the, where the, where the church at large is at today. Still trying to get something that we've already got. Still trying to find peace with God when we have peace with God. Still trying to get uh, in, you know, there's, multiple, there's lots of ways that we say it. You know, you say stuff like, you know, Rhonda, you need to, you need to uh, it's not always necessarily about the Lord. Sometimes we say it with other people. But, you know, you want to get in their good graces and stay there. You guys have heard that saying. Well, guess what? We're in God's good graces, and we're stuck there, like it or not. Are you out there? All right. Now, again, righteousness, once again, means to be in a condition that is acceptable to God. All right. Or, and the secondary definition in the Greek is to be as you ought to be. All right. Now, quickly, let's, let's jump back to Romans chapter 1, and then we're going to look at a few more places here. Romans chapter 1. Just going to finish up where we were left off, then we're going to skim some more here through the book of Romans. Now, see, now think about this. Everything I've said in these 15 or so minutes is enough to get you kicked out of most churches. You know, trust me, I know. <laughs> Been there, done that. It is offensive to the religious mind to say that God is this good. It is absolutely it is absurdly. I, I was thinking, uh, I don't remember exactly. You guys will know the portion of Scripture. Uh, I think it was Simon. Jesus went into his house, Gospel of Luke somewhere, if you know where it's at. And so there's the woman there. And, and what does she start doing? Touching Jesus. Crying on Jesus. Loving on Jesus. And I was thinking, you know, of course, Jesus knew by the Spirit of God what Simon was thinking. And he said this, if this man were really a prophet... He would know what kind of woman this was. And I got to thinking about, that's what people think today. People still think that that old covenant mindset, especially in prophetic ministry, because most people think that prophets are anointed to be weird jerks. That's, that's basically what they think. Prophets are supposed to tear everybody down, rebuke people, judge people, pronounce judgment, cut people up one side and down the other, slap them around, and, and this type of thing. And see, they think that's the ministry of the prophet. That's, and people still think that. If this, that's what he thought of Jesus. If this man was really a prophet, he wouldn't let this sinful woman touch him. 
But then Jesus interjected the true new covenant prophetic ministry. And you guys know the story. He said, look, if two people had a debt, she owed him $100, he owed her $10,000, and he freely forgave them both, who would be more thankful? And he said, well, I guess the guy who had the bigger debt. And Jesus said, that's right. And he said, this woman knows how sinful she is, therefore she's going to love me more. Now Simon was just as forgiven, but in his self-righteous mind, he thought he was somehow less sinful I'm saying you're him and he's her. Sorry, it's just how it worked out. You know, but, but Simon's thinking that somehow he's less sinful. And see, that's what people think today. They think, well, I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's pretty much 80% me and then 20% of God's grace. But old Chris here, oh, Lord help her, it's, uh, she's got about 1% goodness, but she needs 99% grace because she's real sinful and dirty and messed up and all that kind of stuff. The reality is we've all been forgiven the same debt. We're all, and I know this, I'm sorry to offend you, but <laughs> we're all equally sinful. There's no such thing as one person needing more grace or less grace than another person. Amen. At the cross, it's equal ground for everyone. Can you say amen? Amen. All right. Now, quickly here, Romans 1, verse 8, uh, 17, back here again in the, uh, the New Living Translation says this. It says, this good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. God does this. We don't do this. You can never get yourself, you, you know, you need to get in God's good graces and stay there. You can't. But Jesus has done it for you. And believing that is good enough to permanently keep you in good standing with God. Can you say amen? Now again, 1 John chapter 4, what's it say? As Jesus is, so is the believer in this world. So Jesus is my standing before God. We know the New Testament, the Scripture says Jesus ever lives to make, He's at the right hand of God where He makes ever, you know, ever lives, it says, to make intercession for the saints. I don't really think that that means Jesus is like literally praying all the time. I mean, He may, but He is God. You know what I'm saying? Like what it really means is His sacrifice in His death, burial, and finished work is forever being, I don't, I don't know, benefited to us. I don't know if you know what I'm trying to say. It's forever effective towards us, okay? All right, now, look here. He says, this good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. Now, look at this. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith, all right? So, from beginning to end, first to last, start to finish, we never abandon the system. What is the system? Put your faith in Jesus. You're righteous by faith and not by works. So that's God's system. We never abandon that system and say, well, yeah, you start by grace through faith, but you, you step into a system of works. There is no such thing as that. That is leaving the gospel. That's abandoning the gospel. Are you out there? All right. Now, again, he says this, as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Now, jump over here with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, and I'm going to jump back to the King James here. Now, as you keep reading Romans chapter 1, Paul, Paul gives the introduction there, and he says, uh, you know, he greets the saints there, and then he gets into the gospel. Then, from verse 18 through the end of the chapter, Paul recounts what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, all right? So a lot of people read Romans chapter 1, the rest of that chapter there, and they talk about it like it's 
like it's how God functions right now. And it's not. It was, it was during the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. All right? So he, re, he goes through that account, and he talks about how those people had a knowledge of God. Now, they weren't born again. That was before the cross. That was before the law. It was, it was way back when, book of Genesis. They had a knowledge of God, and they willingly rejected it, and, and they willingly said, we don't care. We'll accept the wrath of God now just to have a little uh, perverted gratification. And so that's, that's what they did, all right? Then Paul talks about that. Talks about that wrath. Now look what he says here in Romans chapter 2. After he goes through all of that, he comes to this point in chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. He says, Or do you despise the riches of his good... Now, again, I know I'm going a little fast. I'm trying to slow down. It's just kind of hard to do. He says, Do you despise the riches of God's goodness? All right? Now think about this. Whenever we hear the, the clear gospel that you're righteous by faith in Jesus and not by works, that little thing on the inside of you that doesn't like that, that's what's happening here. That's us despising the riches of His goodness. Because the legalistic mind refuses to accept the fact that it's all based on His goodness. The legalistic mind says, no. I have to do my part. I have to add something to this. And in essence, what we're saying is, no, Jesus alone is not good enough for me. I have to help him out and help finish the work. Are you out there? So, so that thing on the inside of us that gets, you know, it's mad. I mean, just look at the Pharisees. Look, you know, look at Jesus constantly went around healing the sick, setting the captive free. Working miracles on the Sabbath, doing everything he wasn't supposed to do, and all he did was demonstrate the radical, over-the-top, absurd, lavish goodness of God. You know, he was a friend of sinners, and that so offended all the people, like we read in Romans chapter 9, who were trying to get right with God through their works. All right? It is, and it is. See, that's, it is offensive to the flesh of man and to our religious thinking. To say, you mean I can't add one thing to what Jesus has done? Bingo. <laughs> you know, and when we come resolved in that place, and like I mentioned earlier, th this past week, that's what I, what I have had to do. I had to recenter and refocus myself on the simple gospel. Because I'll tell you this much. The easiest thing in the world for any Christian to do is to backslide into legalism to backslide into a system of works righteousness. Because that's what you do. The devil attacks you. You get sick. You get depressed. You lose your job. Somebody dies. Whatever. We instantly, we start thinking, what did I do? Charismatics say, where did I open the door? Oh, no. I opened the door. To the like, we start thinking. So if we think I did something to make this happen, well, our natural reasoning is I have to do a bunch of stuff to somehow fix it. You know, that, that's the simple. But I love what Paul said there in, in Romans chapter 1 there. We read it. He said, don't abandon righteousness by faith. In the middle of the storm, don't jump ship and think you got to fix this thing. He said, remember, it's faith from start to finish, from first to last. And so the devil, you think in Genesis that's what the devil did. He comes and he says, hey, Adam. Hey, Eve. How you guys doing? Look here. Um, you know. Look at that fruit. Look at that. Pretty good. Did the Lord really mean that you guys couldn't eat that? Come on. 
And then he started interjecting a system of unbelief. He said, look, now what's really going on here is God's holding out on you. He knows that if you eat of that knowledge of good and evil, that fruit there, then you'll really be like God. Now see, the problem with that is Genesis chapter 1 says that God made man and woman, humanity, in his likeness and in his image. So they were already like God. So the devil comes and says, you're not really like God. Look at you. call yourself a Christian? You know, that's, that's how he says it today. You know, he can look at you. But if you would just do, and then your mind will pretty much take over from there. Then you'll really be like God. Then you'll really arrive. Then you'll really have strong faith. See, he did the same thing to Jesus. He comes to Jesus, Matthew chapter 3. Jesus gets baptized. Now, now we're this way too, you know. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus gets baptized. So there's, there's the Trinity. There's Jesus. Here comes the Spirit of God in the form of dove resting upon him. And then the Father speaks audibly out of heaven. Jesus and everybody there heard God Almighty, Jehovah, Yahweh, El Shaddai, speak audibly out of heaven and said, This is, is right now, my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus had that encounter. He had that experience. He, he knew the Father's declaration over him. Now think about it. Jesus hadn't worked one miracle at that time. So there was nothing about being really spiritual and having great religious performance that made him, you understand, he, God was pleased with him because that was his son. And for no other reason. I am pleased with London. I am pleased with Haven because they're mine. There's nothing they're ever going to have to do to earn my acceptance. Matter of fact, if they try to, then I, might, then I would might maybe get upset. You understand what I'm saying? They're mine. God forbid they, that I ever give them the impression that they have to do something to be right with Dad. No, they've got righteousness in the family, and it's eternal. You understand? Parents, can you say amen? All right. There's nothing you know, they could ever do to earn my acceptance. But the devil comes, here he comes, and tries to pull the same trick on Jesus the second man, the last Adam, as he did the first Adam. He says, look. Hey, Jesus, I'm talking to you. Jesus. Jesus. No, I'm t- <laughs> I'm t- I know I'm teasing you. <laughs> I hear you, brother. <laughs> I'm teasing you, Rhonda. That's what he does. He, he says, look, if you're really the son of God, and what's really cool there, God didn't say this is my son. He said this is my beloved son. I like that. But anyways, he says, if you're really the son of God, just do such and such. See, it's the same thing. And he tempted him three times. He tried to get him to start producing works to prove. Now, see, that's what religion does today. We stand behind pulpits and we slap you around. There, there was this funny commercial. I don't, it, I don't remember what it was. And you may have heard, uh, remember it. It's a recent commercial I think it was a commercial. It could have been a TV show. But in the commercial, there's like a husband and a wife. But the punchline is the woman says this. She says, I tear them down, and I don't build them up. But it's, it's really funny, but that's the punchline. I tear them. Her husband says, you know, my gosh, you really unloaded on them or whatever. You know, and she says, I tear them down, and I don't build them up. And really, that's what pul- we do from the pulpits a lot of time. We tear people down. We get you so guilt-laden, so condemned, you know what I mean? And just let you know on no uncertain terms how jacked up you are and how imperfect you are and how not right with God you are. And then we finally think that since I've slapped them around and made them feel guilty enough, maybe I can get them to do a bunch of stuff. 
You know what I'm saying? And, and that's, that's sort of the typical M.O., you know, to try to get service out of the church. And that's exactly what Satan did. And see, that is abandoning righteousness by faith from first to last. All right? Now, again, the modern church has this theology, this thinking that separates the initial born again. Am I making sense today? I know I'm saying a lot. I know I'm going fast. Just wave me down, you know, whatever. The modern church has this sort of mentality, and really it's more in, the, in those of us in spirit-filled circles, you know, that say, yes, your initial born-again experience, God accepts you as you are, God loves you as you are, you're righteous by faith, but after that, it becomes all about your works. And we separate, for some reason, the initial born-again experience to the rest of our Christian life. And yet Paul said very clearly there, it's righteousness by faith from first to last. So we're, we need not abandon the system of righteousness by faith. And see, I think that's really why, you know, it's hard. It's really hard to believe that God's as good as the Word says He is. Amen. It, it, it's hard. You know, you start hearing about God's grace and, and this true, pure, new covenant message. It is. It's offensive to people. It's offended me plenty of times. You know what I'm saying? It's just you find everything, in, you, find, you try to find everything in the world to say, you know, oh, I, I, I got to pray more. I got to fast more. I got to confess more. I got to ask forgiveness more. I got to do something, you know, because you just don't feel right. Now, see, this is really interesting to me coming out of a strong word of faith background. In the word of faith, we believe one zillion percent. You know, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm only moved by what I believe. And so we take it, and that's true, don't get me wrong, I'm just, you know, and we take a stand. You know, here comes uh, diabetes, cancer, the flu, whatever, you know, we take a stand and we say, okay, the Word of God says that surely He bore my sicknesses and carried my diseases. Isaiah chapter 53, Matthew chapter 8, 1 Peter chapter 2. He, he bore my sickness, carried my diseases, and by His stripes... I was and am healed. Amen. And that's true. All right? We take, an, we take a stand on that. doesn't matter what we feel like. We will, we will, you know, dig our heels in and say, bring it on, devil. You know, I don't care. I'm going to speak the word. I'm going to take a stand on the word. And we should, and we do, and I do that. Amen. All right? Now, say, say it's got to do with our finances. You know, we're, we get in a rough patch financially. What do we do? We take a stand. My God shall supply all my need. Doesn't matter what it looks like. Doesn't matter what my boss said. Doesn't matter what my coworkers are doing. Doesn't matter what Dow Jones report says. Are you following me? We say, no, God is my Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider, period. And I'm taking a stand on that. And we should. But for some reason, those of us from a word of faith background, and really most of the church at large, when it comes to righteousness, when it comes to having right standing with God, we abandon faith. We, I mean, we, we leave it. We don't even hardly know it's there. And we step over into this system of works. I've not prayed enough this week. We, we stop believing what the Word says. And we start getting into, we start living by how we feel. Because, you know, you don't always feel like you're right with God. I don't. If I went by my feelings, you know, I heard Brother Hagin say one time that if he went by his feelings, he, you know, he'd just 
almost never feel saved. You know what I mean? And that's, that's kind of true. You just, you don't feel saved. You know, you don't see angels. You don't have like gold dust falling on you and the heavens are parted, all that. You know, it's just not the way it is. We live in, you know, this fallen world, you know. And that's why it's so important to get grounded in what the Word of God says. That's why it's so important that we never abandon the system of righteousness by faith. We need to take what the Spirit of God said through Paul. We need to dig our heels in. And we, need to, we need to take a, take a stand. And see, that's what Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 6. He says, the wise man, he builds on the solid ground. And when the storms come, now see, that's what Jesus said. He said, the wise man is the person who becomes a doer of my sayings, the sayings of new covenant, new covenant righteousness. What? The, John chapter 1. The law came by who? But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus. So we need to stand that, yes, I've not done everything perfectly. I don't feel right with God. I don't feel blessed. I don't feel saved. I don't feel like God's pleased with me. I don't feel like I'm close to God, but I refuse to yield to what I feel, and I'm going to take a stand, and I'm going to take God at His word, and I'm going to believe that Jesus is good enough even for oh sorry me. And I'm going to believe that I'm righteous, not through my works, but through His work. Amen? All right. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Hallelujah. He says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering? Here he goes, not knowing that the goodness of God leads people to repentance. And Paul says, do you not know this? I'm thinking like, no, I really didn't, Paul. <laughs> Nobody ever told me. I didn't know his goodness you know, produced this, this repentance in, in our life. Now, now see, again, Romans chapter 1, Paul says these people had a knowledge of God. They willingly chose to say, we, we, we don't care. We're going to fulfill these lustful, perverted gratifications, and then we'll just accept whatever comes our way. And Paul says the wrath of God was revealed against all of that ungodliness. But here's his point. He says it's not the wrath of God. It's not the declaration of judgment that causes repentance. He says even when there is impending judgment on people like the people like Sodom and Gomorrah and for unbelievers, he says it's not the message that you're going to, you know, God's ticked off or the wrath of God's going to get you or whatever. He said that's not what produces change in people. It's the goodness of God that will cause people to change. And I'll just tell you now, the, the reason that really is, when you see how much, every time you see a fresh glimpse of Jesus and how much he perfectly loves you, you know, for me, you know, we get caught up, like, we talk about obedience a lot. For me, and there's a truth to it, but for me, it's just hard to not obey somebody that loves me as much as he does. You got to die to self. You got to surrender your will. Well, no, not really. If you just see how much he loves you. I heard Brother Hagin say one time, Brother Hagin said, die to self. He said, my true self is created in the image and likeness of God. I sure don't want to die to that. Amen. See, the real us, the real born-again part of you always wants to obey God. So it's not an issue, i got to die, i got to surrender my will. No, if you just fall in love with Jesus, you can't not want to do what he says. It just can't happen. Am I making sense? You guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. All right. And that's what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 1. He says, Sodom and Gomorrah, they knew the judgment of God, and they willingly accepted it. He said, so knowing that there could be impending judgment or wrath is not what causes people to change. He says, it's the goodness of God. See, that's what Jesus said about that woman. He said, her sins are many, and so she's forgiven much. And he said, the person who's forgiven much will love me much. So 
make it a point in your life to constantly, continually remind yourself all your sins, past, present, and future, are gone. You're forgiven. Remind yourself you're forgiven much. And the only outcome that can happen, according to Jesus, is you'll love him much. Are you out there? Amen. Praise God. That's why we need the, the, the church at large, and thank God we are, we need to dispel the myth of the angry God. Because God's not angry. Amen. Jesus, in John chapter uh, 14, Philip said, Show us the Father, then we'll really believe you. He said, Philip, have I been with you this long and you still don't get it? He said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, what was Jesus? Because you think, well, okay, if I've seen Jesus, then I've seen the Father, okay? Well, what was Jesus? Well, he was a friend of sinners. You still got any sin in your life? Yes, you do. Well, guess what? There's a friend named Jesus for you. Amen. What, what else did Jesus do? He healed the sick. He loved on the outcast. I love it in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus goes up on the mountain. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 goes up on the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. Then he comes off the mountain, and he's the, the first, at least the first person that we see that, that in, he encounters after that is a leper. And he says, Lord, I know if it was your will, you could make me clean. And so in, in this account, Jesus forever revealed what the will of God is. And Jesus said, I will be clean. So Jesus' will for your healing is always yes, number one. But see, what's so cool to me is this man was a leper. And if you ever read the book of Leviticus, lepers were unclean. They were kept outside of the camp. They couldn't be in the normal, you know, populace. And so what's Jesus do? He touches old un Mr. Unclean. And I love it. You know, and that, to me, that just tells me, Jesus is not afraid of my uncleanness. Any area in my life where I've not arrived yet, he can handle it. It doesn't ruin his day. It doesn't knock him off the throne. It doesn't catch him by surprise. He can handle it. He's not afraid that our uncleanness will somehow pollute him. Jesus believes that if we'll come to him, even with some uncleanness, that he can pollute us with his cleanness. Are you following me? Amen. And I love it. That man didn't say, Jesus, I believe that... Um, you can make me clean. Oh, and I've kept all the commandments. Oh, and I've done this. Oh, and I pray a lot. Oh, and I fast. Oh, and I'll go witness. Oh, and I'll go do all of this. He didn't, he didn't bargain with him. He knew he was unclean, and he couldn't bring one thing to the table. He said, Jesus, this, it's either all you or it's just never going to happen. I believe you can make me clean. And I, I think that's the, that's, that's, to me, that's like mountain-moving faith right there. That's, that is, you know, dead-raising, devil-stomping, water-walking faith. Jesus, I know I'm messed up. Lord, I know I've had a bad attitude today. Lord, I know I shouldn't have cussed Justin out. Lord, I know I shouldn't have did whatever I did, you know, but help. And, that, and that's, see, that's what he's, he's not looking for us to bargain our good works. You know, you clock in an hour of prayer, uh, then maybe you get like one answered prayer. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's just this mentality that we have. But the simple, the simple message of the gospel, again, Romans chapter 1, you're right with God. By faith, from first to last. We never need to abandon the system of faith and exchange it for the inferior system of works. The nation of Israel already had a system of works. Amen. All right, we're going to read a few more verses here. I've got just a, a little bit of time here left. Jump over with me to Romans chapter 4. Again, talking about being fully persuaded, fully persuaded in the goodness of God. 
And, and as I mentioned a few moments ago, you know, not just being a faith person for healing, not just being a faith person for prosperity, but being a faith person in righteousness. And really, see, that's really the foundation. Righteousness. To be righteous, it means you have a right. The only reason I have a right to healing, to prosperity, to peace, to answered prayer, to whatever, because I'm right with God. Being right with God means I have a right to these things. You understand? So righteousness is the foundation to all these other things. And I think that's maybe part of the reason we don't sometimes see better results in the other stuff because we're not, we're not really settled on the foundation that I'm right with God apart from my works. Amen? Based solely on the work of Jesus and what He's did for me. And that's why it is so important uh, to see these things from the Word of God because our feelings and our uh, previous religious training does not accommodate faith righteousness. It, it, you know, when you're told all your life, you know, every time you sin, you're out of fellowship with God. You know, never mind the fact that the phrase out of fellowship is not in the Bible, Old or New Testament, one single time. That don't matter. We've heard it so much, and it feels like it's true, so we just buy it, hook, line, and sinker. You know what I'm saying? That, you know, and so that's why it's so important to get grounded on the Word, what the Word says. All right? And so the Word, again, is never going to change itself to make me feel better. If I say no, I've got to do my part and God will do His. You know, the Word's never going to accommodate that. It's always going to say, no, it's the work of God. All you can do is believe and receive, you know? And so it, it really is, I understand how hard it is to believe. And I think that's why Paul said in Romans 10, you know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. Because there's nothing in, in your experience, there's nothing in what most of us have had preached to us, there, there's nothing in our feelings and mental faculties that accommodates the fact the truth that we're righteous by faith. Everything else really in this world is, is based on performance outright or at least to a larger degree. You know what I mean? And so there's no, there's no real model for faith righteousness. And when there's, you have no natural evidence, there, there's no, even, it, it's, it's one thing if, if Orla tells me how sorry I am. It's one thing, you know, if my wife tells me how wrong and messed up I am. If my friends tell me how, you know, you know what I'm saying? But What's the real bad is we continually tell ourselves how messed up we are, how wrong we are, how not right with God we are, how we've not done enough. You know, it's like it's, it's ingrained into us, man, you know. And so, and that's just part of, the, that's part of the, the Adam syndrome. See, that's what Adam and Eve did after they fell. What do they do? They ran from God and they covered themselves. And that's what we try to do today. Instead of running to Jesus and saying, you're my righteousness, you're my covering. We, 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 you know, we, we abandon faith and we get into works and try to, it's really fun, and maybe you've not been there, but if you say you're not, you're probably lying, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, there's this mentality, you do something really stupid, you know, whatever, you kick the dog and cast out your spouse. It's like we punish ourselves for like the next two weeks, mentally, internally, and we feel like we have to go through this, this time process before we feel like we're right with God again. You been there? I don't know if, you know, I can't articulate it perfectly, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, you've you got to repent enough. You've got to ask for forgiveness enough. You have to have at least three or four or five good days of really not messing up too bad. And you went to church, and you even went to the prayer group, and you gave extra in the offering. And you've got to do all this stuff to feel like you're right with God again. And see, that, that's abandoning the simple gospel. That's leaving righteousness by faith from first to last and stepping into right where the devil wants us to be. Works righteousness. And works righteousness is going to send billions and billions of people to hell. 
Amen. Play, playing around with, with trying to be right with God through your works is not just some eh, little thing. It's deadly. It's dangerous. There, there's just countless people, right? You know, I mean, just think about, you know, these radical jihadist Muslims. The only way they can guarantee their salvation, which they don't have because you've got to have Jesus, you know. But the only way they can guarantee their salvation is if you become a martyr. And that secures, you know, a spot in paradise for you and your immediate family. See, it's you have to do it. Now, we know that's absurd. But you know what I'm saying? Even Christians, to some degree, you know, we feel like, well, yeah, Jesus started it, but i got to finish this thing. You know, it's really interesting. Jesus on the cross, he should have said, it is started. Now you finish it. But he didn't. You know, he said, it is finished. Amen. And see, even in creation, you think God made all that there was to be made. And after everything was completed and perfect, then he makes man. And man comes into existence and consciousness in a finished work. There was nothing left for him to do. He didn't, you, know, you understand what I mean? It's the same thing in the new covenant. Jesus has finished the work. And upon the new birth, the second that we're born again, we enter in spiritually to a place of completion, perfection, and rest. Can you say amen? All right. Praise God. Romans 4. Look down here. Oh, let's see. We're going to look at a few verses here. Let's start in verse 13. Romans 4, 13. Paul says, For the promise that he, talking about Abraham, should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. Now, now think about that. The promise that Abraham was God's covenant man and that he would be the heir of the world was not made to him through the law. Now we know that there was no law at the time. That, you understand when God made covenant with Abraham. He, if you would have said, Abe, you got to keep the Big Ten, man, to be saved, he'd say, what's the Big Ten? Ten Commandments. He'd say, what's that? Because there was no law. You know? Well, you got to kill animals when you sin. There was no system set up for that, all right? So it was strictly by faith. It was hundreds of year later, years later before the law came on the scene. He says, but through the righteousness of faith, all right? Verse 14, for if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is made of none effect. Verse 15, so important. Verse 15, because the law works wrath. Now, see, that's the purpose of the law. The law is good, but the law can bring me no good. The law can't make me good. Are you out there? So there's nothing wrong with God's law, but there's everything wrong with me trying to keep the law. First Timothy chapter 1 says, the law is not made for a righteous person. Are you a righteous person? The law is not made for you. Amen. You know, I, it's, I, th I think a lot about how people say, you know, America needs to you know, return to God's law, and America needs to, like, return to God. And there's so many things to look about that. Number one, there's no law to return to. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12 and 13 said that Jesus made the law obsolete. You know, we may look at that because I know that's hard to believe. But, you know, that's exactly what it says. Number two, think about this. America has never been in covenant with God. The only nation, the only nation that was ever in covenant with God was Israel. 
But that covenant's been fulfilled. You know, I saw a preacher on TV just a few weeks ago, and he's, he's a born-again man, but he's Jewish, and he's really strong in all the Jewish stuff, you know. And he was saying that because he's a Jew, you know, he can, and this is basically what he said. I'm not putting words in his mouth, but maybe he didn't use this exact wording. Basically what he said is, I can impart special blessings to you because I'm a natural Jew. Well, the problem with that is Romans chapter 2 and Romans chapter 11 says that a true Jew is not the person who's a natural Hebrew who tries to keep the law, but it's the person who's born again. Amen. We'll take a little side note here. When Romans chapter 11 says that all of Israel shall be saved, that's what it's talking about. Israel is what he's saying there. And I'm not into replacement theology. There's still a truth to the nation of Israel. But what Paul is really saying there when he says all Israel will be saved is the born-again person because we're the true Israel. Romans chapter 2 teaches this, by the way. We just don't have time to look at it. All right, back on track here. Look here, verse 15. For the law works wrath. So to say that America needs to return to the law of God is saying we need to return to wrath because that's what the law works. You see it there, Romans 4? The law work, that's the purpose of the law, to work wrath. The law was never given to make me right with God. The law was given to make us know you're not right with God and that you never can be through your works. And so the natural result should be mercy. God says, you got it. Amen. Here's mercy. Here's my son. Put your faith in him, then you'll be righteous. Amen? All right. Then he says this, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. All right, verse 16, therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be certain or sure to all the seed. Everybody say, that's me. Amen. You're the seed of Abraham. Praise God if you're in Jesus. All right. He says, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Everybody who's in Christ, in the faith. Jew and Gentile, in other words. All right? Verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. And, and just, just a, a side note there. He's really, when he's quickened, he's talking about the new birth here. That's what he's, this is essentially what Abraham believed. Genesis 15, 6, the first place in the Bible where it says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. As a matter of fact, that's the first time the words believe, believeth, or righteousness are used in all the Bible. And they're, they're connected. Righteousness has always come by believing God, never by works. Amen? And so this is what Abraham believed, essentially. See, God comes to him in Genesis and he says, there's the sand of the sea. That's the natural seed. That's Israel. He said, there's the stars of the sky. That's the heavenly spiritual seed. That's the body of Christ. All right? And he says, you believe I can uh, give you a nation as innumerable as this? Yeah, you're God. I guess so. Boom, you're righteous. And, that, and that's what he believed, that God would quicken the dead. He, he believed that God would, would take unregenerate man and restore him to what was lost in the garden, spiritual life. Amen? I hope you see that. Praise God. Okay. Now, verse 18 who against hope believed in hope. And that's what we're talking about this morning. I don't always feel righteous. I don't feel like God loves me all the time. I don't feel like I measure up. I don't always feel like God perfectly accepts me. I sure as heck don't feel like I'm forgiven. So it's against hope that you got to believe in hope anyways. you got to believe what the Word says regardless of what you feel like. Amen? 
All right. He says that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which is spoken, so shall your seed be. Verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20. Here we go. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. If you ever read the life of Abraham, he sure wasn't strong in good works. Amen? You ever, he was a scoundrel, man. Two different times he told two different heathen kings, you know, it's not my wife, you can have her. Can you imagine telling some, some loser that, yeah, that's not my wife, you can have her. Your wife would kill you. Forget the king killing. Are you, you know what I'm saying? Are, are you guys know this happened? It was, it, was, it was years and years and years and years. And then see, the first, when it happened, with, you know, there was two different kings. But like when it happened with Abimelech, Abraham, you know, they're coming through there. And he sees Sarah, and she's beautiful. And the king says, she's mine. Let me have her, basically. And what's the Lord do? The Lord comes to him in his sleep and says, hey, uh, that's actually his wife. And if you don't give her back, I'm going to kill you. And then he said this about Abraham, for he's a prophet. So Abraham is a lying scoundrel who's willing to give his wife away to save his own neck. And God says, he's a prophet. You know, when you lie, you don't feel like a prophet. <laughs> when you lie or when you do something you shouldn't have done and you know better, you don't feel like a child of God, do you? You know, you don't, your, your feelings and, and our thought patterns just don't accommodate the fact that we're truly righteous by faith. But see, this, this is it right here. It says that Abraham staggered not. He didn't stagger through unbelief. Amen. But he gave glory to God. And I think it's imperative that we live this way. Jesus, that's what I've had to do this past week. Jesus, I don't feel righteous, but Lord, I thank you that your word says that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Lord, I thank you that even though I, you know, not that I've necessarily done anything, you just, you know, you don't have to do anything bad to feel bad. You can just feel bad just because you're breathing. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's like, you know, but Lord, I thank you. That, you know, there's been an attack against me. I feel like a sheep-eating dog. I feel like you're far away from me. But, Lord, I thank you that your word is forever settled in heaven and earth. And, Lord, I thank you that I am right now a child of God. I am clean. I am righteous. I am accepted. I am blameless. I am holy. I am forgiven. And see, I think Abraham, he exercised this type of faith. I mean, he even had to change his name. I mean, think about... You know, your, your work associates. Think about your family, you know, and you change your name. You know, th that would be kind of like, does anybody watch professional basketball at all? One and a half, two and a half people. Okay, well, I do. So there's a guy in the NBA by the name of, his name was Ron Mercer. He actually changed his name just a couple of years ago, I'm not making this up, to Meta M-E-T-T-A, Meta World Peace. That's what he changed his name to. And he played for the Lakers, the L.A. Lakers. And they were, they were interviewing some of the guys about, you know, what do you call him now? And most of the guys were saying, well, he wants to be called Meta, so we called him Meta. And they asked Kobe Bryant, what do you call him? I call him Ron. You know, I mean, it would be hard, you know, but think about with Abraham. He had to change his name. And that's just, you know what I'm saying? And, and he had to keep saying, you know, Abraham, are you nuts? You are, every time he said, no, I'm Abraham. And his, his mom and dad or his, his cousins, his work, so his, he had hundreds of servants. Abe, you know, he said, I'm not going to tell you again. My name is Abraham. 
This is what they heard. My name is the father of a multitude. And he had no kids. And it was like 25 years before she ever, Sarah conceived. You know what I'm saying? He had absolutely no reason. There were no feelings. There was no natural evidence whatsoever. All he had was the Word of God. And he didn't even have the written Word to look at that we know of like we do. And you know, it's amazing. You, you know, you can be in a service and somebody can prophesy to you and you're caught up in the moment and the presence of God is there, the anointing's there, you knew it was right on the money, and the rest of that day you're kind of floating on cloud nine. But six months later, it's not come to pass yet. Well, that buzz wears off. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hello? And you don't feel the exuberance and the excitement of that, that, fresh, that one-time fresh prophetic word, you know? And that's why it's so important, again, Stand on the Word. Stand on the Word. Stand on the Word. You don't feel righteous? Believe you're righteous anyways. You don't act righteous? Believe you're righteous anyways. Amen. That's the simplicity and the power of the gospel. See, this is the gospel we read in Romans chapter 1. This is the good news that you are right with God. And this is the power of God. Amen. We got just two or three minutes left here. Look in verse 21. It says, Abraham being fully persuaded... That what God had promised, God was also able to perform. See, right there, it's not up to you to perform. It's up to you to believe. It's up to God to perform. Amen? You say, well, I don't know how to believe. Well, there's an answer for that, too. Faith comes by hearing His Word. I mean, this is pretty simple, right? It's, this, really, it's the simplicity of the gospel. It's so simple, we need religion to help us mess it up, you know? Verse 22 and therefore, it was imputed to him for right standing with God, for righteousness. Not because he did one good work. And we know from Scripture, he actually did a lot of bad works. But his righteousness was always based on believe God. Now see, think about that. That's how Adam lost the, the spiritual life of God that was on the inside of him. That's how he lost his sonship with God. They didn't commit some terrible act. You know, he didn't go cheat on Eve. He didn't kill someone. They stopped believing God. Amen. Amen. That's all they did. You know, last time I checked, eating fruit's not really a sin. The real sin was not believing God and then acting out. It wasn't a sinful, perverted, nasty, ungodly act in, in, the, in the works sense of it. You understand? They just didn't believe God. And then that unbelief manifested itself. Back up a few verses and we'll stop. Romans chapter 4, let's just jump here. Verse 1. It says, what, and we're about to close. He says, what shall we say then that Abraham, our father, found uh, pertaining to the flesh? Verse 2. For if Abraham were justified by works, he would have something to glory about. But not before God. You know, I think about the day of judgment a lot. You know, like 1 John chapter 4 says that God's perfect love casts out and removes all fear. But he goes on and explains that that fear he's really talking about is the fear of the day of judgment. And that's why he says, as Jesus is, so are you in this world. So we don't have to be afraid. I can believe that I'm right with God now, and I'll believe that I'm right with God then. And again, you know, we've all had that, that video screen theology, you know. And I, I joke about it a lot, but it's true. And, 
probably most, you know, you think you're going to stand before God, and everything you did from your first breath, you know, to your last breath, God's going to play it on a big movie projector in heaven. And I always think, like, you know, I'm a convicted drug dealer and a former drug addict, so I, I, used, I always think, if you can't have sin in heaven, there's no way he can show my life story in heaven. You know what I'm saying? Like, because there's a lot of sin on my life story, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's just no way God's going to show that X-rated movie in heaven, you know, because I was just a foul, ungodly heathen. You know, I sinned with the best of them and did the best I could at it, you know what I'm saying? But, and he's removing that type of fear, all right? Now, I've got to keep going here, though. He says, but not before God, so we don't have anything to boast about. Nobody's going to be in heaven because they deserve to be there. Not one good work is going to get anybody into heaven. Nothing. Verse 3, he says, For what do the Scriptures say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now to him that works for righteousness, in other words, to him that works, he says, the reward is not reckoned of grace, but of debt. In other words, like God owes you something. God's indebted to you because of your good works. And you think about how sick that mentality is. And see, but that's what we're doing. We think, well, you know, I prayed, I prayed 10 solid hours this week. Surely God will answer a few prayers for me now. I fasted two days last month. I know God will do such and such for me now. We're acting like God owes us something. We're trying to get stuff that we already have. Amen? And so fasting and praying and all this stuff doesn't earn us the blessings of God. What it will do is help us to believe that what God says I do have in Christ I do have. Amen? All right. Here we go. But, but to him, verse 5, but to him that worketh not, but, I love that, to him that worketh not, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith, his faith is counted for right standing with God. I, I heard Kenneth Copeland preaching one time, and it said, uh, you know, here in chapter 4, and then in chapter 5, he says Christ died for the ungodly. Brother Copeland said, man, finally, something I qualified for. You know, and that's so true. It's, that's the only thing we contribute to our salvation before God is our own ungodliness. That's all we can bring to the table. Jesus, I'm a no-good sinner. You know, and he says, you qualify. You know, that's what qualifies us, you know. And then faith receives it. I'm trying to hurry here. Uh, he says, his faith counted righteous. Verse 6, even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sin are covered. Verse 8, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Amen? And what he's simply saying there, if you're righteous... You're the blessed man or the blessed woman to whom God... I love he says, God will not impute sin. Not just didn't back then, but if you get out of line, he may. No, it says will not. That's future tense. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That's you, by the way. Mr. and Mrs. Born Again, child of God. That's you. You're that blessed child of God to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now our sin can have its own consequences... But the Lord, you understand, the Lord's not going to pull off that gift of righteousness and start imputing sin. He can't do it. He's already imputed, freely given, an irrevocable gift of righteousness to you. It's just like the children of Israel. Here comes the death angel, and all he had to see 
was blood on the post. Well, there's blood all over your post, baby. Amen? There's no impending judgment. Jesus, John chapter 5, says, Whoever believes in me hath passed from death unto life and will never come into judgment. That's not some TV preacher you don't like. That's Jesus. Amen? Jesus said that. And that's the simple message of the gospel. I'm going over, stand up, and we'll dismiss. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Aren't you glad to be saved? Woo! Boy, I done preached myself happy. Thank you, Jesus. It's good to be born again. It's good to be a child of God. I encourage you this week, preach the gospel to yourself. You know, as believers, I think all of us, we, we enjoy to, I do, I enjoy sharing the gospel, particularly now that I know a little bit about it, you know, a little bit more than I used to. You know, it's, it's not really fun, you know, because I used to think like, because after I got saved, I was good for a little while, but I got, when, I got, when I got caught up into that system of works, man, it was like I was pretty much tormented. And you know you're supposed to witness because that's your duty, and the preacher tells you how bad you are if you don't, you know, so you, you do it, but you don't do it because like you want to, you do it because you're supposed to, which stinks. <laughs> like, like, don't do it, you know, like, you know, and you want here, Jesus will give you the same joy that I got, you know, like, yeah, uh-huh, you know, <laughs> come to Jesus, he'll make you as happy as I am, you know, it's like, at least on the inside, you can feel that way, you know, and um, <laughs> sad but true, right, you know, but I think about now, you know, I think about London, Linda took uh, my son London uh, somewhere, doctor office, I think, Karen, uh, Linda in London, I think it was the doctor's office, and Linda said there were three maybe kind of older ladies who saw London, my son, and they said, oh, he's so cute, or something like that. First thing out of London's mouth, because he's obsessed with dinosaurs, one million percent. First thing out of his, three women he never met before, oh, he's so cute, London. I got a new dinosaur, you know, and I'm thinking about, like, that's, that's how sharing the gospel is. We have never had to tell London. Like, you, you tell people you got a new dinosaur. Like, you be grateful for that, and you tell people about it because they need to experience the joy of dinosaur that you have. There, there's, like, no, like, having to prod him into doing this. It's, 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 a, it's a joy that's overflowing. Amen? And, and for me, it's, like, understanding just this, the simple gospel, man, that God accepts you and loves you and has forgiven you, and there's nothing you can do about it, so you might as well just accept it. I mean, it's pretty nice sharing that message. Can you say amen? You know, and, and, and it's, it's really, you know, the world likes that message. Boy, it can make religious people mad as all get it, but they need to hear it too, amen? Jesus had to argue and fight with the Pharisees, but he still preached the truth to them, amen? You know, and as a matter of fact, I've got a little book back there by that coffee, the Starbucks coffee there. There's just one copy of it. If you want it, you can have it. Uh, but Brother Hagan, it's called uh, Paul's Revelation, the Gospel of Reconciliation. Chapter 2 in that book, Brother Hagan talks about what we've been talking about today, the true gospel. And he, goes, he really goes, to, it's, it's short, it's small, but he goes into some detail about how if, if the world ever gets this true message, and it was 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that opened his eyes to it all, that God was in Christ not imputing the world's sin against them, that it imputed it all unto Jesus. And Brother Hagin said, if the church ever gets a hold of that true gospel message, he said, the churches will be overflowing. But he said, even an old pig's got more sense 
you know, he talked about how preachers wait for people to come in and then we slap them around, you know. He said, even the pigs got, got more sense than, you know, you kick them two or three times, they're going to quit coming to you. He said, but, you know, it's all in that, but you can just read it there. You can fight over it. Whoever gets to it first can have it. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just the truth, man. It's the simple gospel. You know, and I, and I said it a little while ago. Forget the world. Even most of the church has yet to hear this radical, wonderful good news that God's not mad. He's not. You know, why would God send his son to redeem people and then just be mad at them? You know, usually you don't give lavish gifts to people you hate and want to kill. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his best. Amen? Praise God. If I don't stop, I won't stop. So I'm going to stop. We'll pray and dismiss. Um, I'll set the offering basket right here in the front for anyone that's giving today. Just as soon as we close.